Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated Golden Ticket Scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here, and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka Golden Ticket is all mine. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Come on, the doors are on back. Ah, what the? Is there a door behind all those spiders? <laughs> it's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. <sighs> look at how many spiders there aren't. Where should we lie down for eight consecutive hours first? Relax, you booked a Verbo. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. All you need is a computer with an internet connection or the Talkspace mobile app. That means you can improve your mental health even if you've had trouble making time for it in the past. I love the idea of Talkspace, especially for people who literally maybe you have time making time for yourself because you're dealing with so much stuff. I have a friend that uses Talkspace, and it's really helped her kind of as a bridge to be in a place where she can do even more for her mental health. If you can't imagine fitting anything else into your life, well, with Talkspace, therapy is as easy as sending a message. If you're already texting your friends about your mental health, why not text an expert? Get something off your chest whenever you need to. Talk about your everyday challenges at work or home. Just chat about life. There are no extra commutes, no leaving the office, and no judgments. Remember that therapy isn't just about venting your innermost thoughts or digging into childhood memories. It's also about practical, everyday strategies for stress management and living a happier life. Having a therapist simply provides you with a designated person for you to talk to who's trained to listen and help you make positive changes. The Talkspace platform has over 2,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing life challenges we all face. To match with a perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com slash WFLT and use the code WFLT to get $45 off your first month and show your support for this show. That's Talkspace.com W-F-L-T, and use the code W-F-L-T. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, the show where we talk about the differences between us without letting them divide us. And that is a lie. Today's show is not about that. Today's show is a response to some listener and, I guess, reader also, uh, please, that I do something uplifting in a show. So we decided we would go to the guests that we've had over the past couple of years and ask them to contribute uh, audio recordings of what they're thankful for. And we're going to play that. That's kind of part two of the show. And then also it occurred to me that, gosh darn it, we've had someone on the show who who's written a book about being grateful. And that person is Diana Butler-Bass, and she is here. Hi, Diana. Hi. It's so wonderful to be back with you. And I'm truly grateful to have you here as well. And I think I want to start off with the with the hard thing, for me at least, which is that so we have this wonderful holiday called Thanksgiving, uh, which does tend to, to prompt things like this, conversations like the one we're about to have where people talk about what they're grateful for. But I always have a little pinprick of guilt, maybe more than a pinprick of guilt, because this holiday is founded on some really terrible history. 
Like, do you have any thoughts about how to kind of approach that? Yeah, you know, I've been asked that question quite quite a bit this year um, by audiences who are rightly worried that the early celebrations of Thanksgiving often were wrapped up with some pretty terrible, violent episodes in the early colonization of New England. I think it was the one of one of the early celebrations was in 1627, if memory serves me correctly, and it immediately had followed upon a, a genocide of a particular uh, tribe that was in the way of a group of New England settlers. So there was just a, I think it was this morning in a Time magazine, an article by a Native American writer dealing with that. And I read the article, and, and, and he was talking about how difficult Thanksgiving was for him, but that he was in the process of reclaiming it. And in the course of the article, he said, just because something was founded on violence— it doesn't mean that it has to stay that way. And uh, all year I've been telling people that dis- despite the horrible history of it, which we need to recognize, the tr- the sort of deeper story here is that we have this myth of the colonists and the Native peoples getting along and sharing a meal. And so I've been encouraging people saying, well, maybe it's time to make the myth the reality. And so instead of living into a terrible story and a destructive story and a story that was concocted to cover up uh, white supremacy, let's turn it into a real story of people across boundaries serving each other a meal and learning to sit together and share the abundance of the earth. And so that's pretty much what this this um, article said that was in time. And I was so amazed and pleased to see it from such a powerful perspective. I appreciate that point of view, too. I, I mean, there's a, a lot of history that's pretty awful that has somehow gotten us to a place that's better. And I do think it's important to just acknowledge the awful part, right, and to know the true story of Thanksgiving and my own piece of this has been I just did the very easy thing of of figuring out whose land I'm on today, right? Which is, I guess, a thing that actually my intern, Lily, told me that at McAllister College, that's how they're, um, they're acknowledging in almost every public event they do that they're on Dakota land, which I could totally see like the older, less woke me being really annoyed by that. But you know what? <laughs> Well, because it would be like, oh, really? Do I have to do this every time? But when you think about, like, how long we've been occupying this, <laughs> maybe that's not a terrible thing. And especially you and your family may not want to do it every day. But to do the little bit of extra work to find out whose land you're on when you celebrate Thanksgiving, I think would be a good way to start reclaiming the holiday the way you're talking about. Yeah, for many, many years, most of my work was with uh, liberal uh, churches. And uh, I remember this one trip in particular in Australia about 12 years ago, maybe. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that, that a lot of progressive congregations in Australia have been using that as part of their liturgy for 
about two decades now. That is beginning every single worship service and holiday celebration with a recognition of the indigenous peoples upon whose land they they now live. And to thank them and to remember uh, the ways in which the people who came before had cared for the land and what can be learned from their histories. I think it's a beautiful thing. It I might have so annoyed too. me too at one point in my life, but I'm on the uh, Patawomek tribe's land, and I'm going to remember that tomorrow over Thanksgiving. Uh, now that I think about it, though, we've we fucking like sing the national anthem all the time, right? Like, <laughs> no one no one rolls there. I mean, you can roll your eyes at it, and you can definitely like kneel during it, and whatever. But like, we acknowledge the founders all the time. And they're actually much more recent than than the people whose land we're on. So I'm now reconsidering, and I think I probably wouldn't find it annoying, and I'm going to encourage people to do it all the time. So let's let's transition to a more general question about thanks, which is, sure. is there anything that it's in, that you shouldn't be grateful for? Like sometimes when I'm I'm grateful, uh, I feel bad about like, oh, I'm grateful for this thing that's really a privilege. Should I be grateful for that? I think it's okay when you say I'm grateful for. Um, I'm grateful for a wonderful education. I'm grateful yeah. uh, for the fact that my parents could provide me some support as I launched my career in the world. I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As long as you're recognizing it, part of privilege, of course, is not recognizing that it's privilege. Right. You're, it's just like, oh, I was entitled to that thing or we're blind to the gifts. But as soon as you say, I'm grateful that my parents helped me out to get, to get a start or whatever, whatever that uh, psychologists call it, tailwinds, mm-hmm. the things that give us a boost or help us in life. As soon, as soon as we recognize those, we see them more as gifts rather than privileges. So I think that when we say we're grateful for X, Y, or Z, um, that is something that's an extraordinary uh, gift, an extraordinary advantage. All of a sudden, we see it differently. We see it more as, oh, I really kind of didn't deserve that, but someone thought ahead to give me this particular gift, or I was able to use this particular thing in order to do good for others. So I think it kind of uh, takes some of the privileged aspect out of it by creating the capacity of it not being an entitlement. And then all of a sudden you can kind of look around and say, hey, I wish other people had that same that same tailwind. You know, what can I do to make sure that what has been such a blessing for me can also be a blessing for other people as well? I mentioned in the intro that you'd written a book about gratitude. I didn't actually say the name, but it's Grateful, The Transformative Power of Giving Thanks. And I know you talked to a ton of people when you wrote this book about their traditions of gratitude and and you know, how gratitude works in their life. And I'm curious, what were some of the surprises you had in terms of what people are grateful for? Well, the the capacity of people to be grateful in difficult circumstances, I think, was one of the things that surprised me the most. Um, there's a There's a real problem around suffering— or illness, 
or injustice and gratitude. Because one of the things we should never be grateful for, and psychologists say you should never force anyone to be grateful for, is any act that does injury. And so even in religious traditions, you sometimes hear people say, oh, I'm sorry you lost your job, but hey, be grateful anyway, because there's going to be a blessing in this. Or I I actually know people who have been told by pastors things like, yes, I know that it's really hard because your spouse beats you, but God has a blessing in it for you. So be grateful because you're going to find a blessing. But that's wrong. People should never say, I'm grateful for something that is violent or something that is unjust or something that is purposefully uh, demeaning. Um, So those things are not what you're grateful for. But what people shared with me was a capacity to learn gratitude through the difficult challenges of life, that they weren't grateful for the thing itself, the job loss or the violent act or the illness, uh, but they learned to be Their capacity for receiving gifts of compassion and love and wonder, their capacity for seeing um, the presence of the sacred in the middle of those kinds of trials um, multiplied uh, when they looked at what they were going through with the eyes of gratitude. And that— in turn, it gave them a kind of internal fortitude that built up courage and enabled people to face those difficulties even better than they might have in other circumstances. So, so uh, those are the things that surprised me most, those stories where people learned gratitude through incredibly hard times. There is a battle going on about the future of the Internet. Big corporations and ISPs and ad networks are getting rich from selling your data, and net neutrality no longer really exists. Internet providers and mobile carriers like Comcast and Verizon can restrict websites, spy on your online activity, or sell your browsing history to anyone they want. And I don't want my internet browsing to be tracked and sold. I I don't think anybody actually wants that. And that is why I use a virtual private network. Specifically, I use ExpressVPN. With one click, ExpressVPN shields my online activity from internet and mobile providers, as well as hackers and spies. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. It is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you ever use public Wi-Fi and want to keep your data private, you need a virtual private network, and ExpressVPN is my solution. To take back your internet privacy today and find out how you can get three months for free, go to expressvpn.com slash friends. That's expressvpn, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash friends, and you will get three months free with a one-year package. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash friends. Journalist Mehdi Hassan is known around the world for his televised takedowns of presidents and prime ministers. He hosts Upfront on Al Jazeera and is a columnist for The Intercept. And in his new podcast, Deconstructed, Mehdi unpacks a game-changing news event of the week while challenging the conventional wisdom in a tight 
30-minute package, a little quicker than what we do here. He starts his show with his take on one topic and what the mainstream news is getting wrong or what context is being missed. And then he goes into a deep analysis and conversation with his guest or guests of the week. And get this, his guests have included Judd Apatow, Bernie Sanders, and Hassan Minhaj. So he kind of covers the gamut. I would say, in terms of who you might be expecting. Um, it's everyone from comedians to politicians to, for instance, Stefan Clark's fiance. So you're going to hear from a lot of different people. And the show has covered such topics as the violence in Gaza from the perspective of Israeli activists against the occupation and, of course, police shootings, as through the eyes of the fiance of Stefan Clark. Also, he's talked about the dangers of John Bolton with former diplomats. As a Brit and a Muslim, an immigrant based in Donald Trump's Washington, D.C., Mehdi Hassan gives a refreshingly provocative perspective on the ups and downs of American and global politics. Deconstructed is a show that cuts through political drivel and media misinformation to give you a straight take on one big news story of the week. It is out every Friday, just like this pod. You can listen and subscribe at theintercept.com slash deconstructed or on any podcast platform. So I have a, a gratitude circle that I'm a part of. I think we've talked about before. Uh, it, it's mm-hmm. with other women that I've met through uh, the 12-step program that I'm in. And we I've been doing it literally for years. Like some of the cast of characters has changed a little bit. Um, have people leave the program? Have people leave town? Um, But what's been interesting to me over the years is to see the span of things that people can be grateful for. Um, Like, you can be grateful for your sobriety. That's, like, maybe the hugest thing for those of us in recovery, right? Like, I'm I'm grateful to be sober today. That's the number one thing in my life. But sometimes what I get— I'm very grateful that you're sober today, too, (laughs) Good. Uh, Yes. That makes me happy when you say that. I feel (laughs) grateful for that. And that's what my life is centered on. It really is. And maybe we can have—talk more about that at some point. But um, it is—although maybe we should talk about it now. Um, Because honestly, like, that is the center of my life, is my gratitude for my sobriety. I kind of want to continue my story— and maybe we can weave them together, which is that, so I'm great. That is a central tr- fact of my life is that I'm sober today and I'm grateful for it. And I begin and end every day thinking about it. And that's not an exaggeration for anyone who who doesn't know people in 12-step programs. Like if you're really doing the deal, as we say, you are supposed to every morning and every night say a little prayer. And I do. <laughs> Sometimes it's pretty perfunctory, mm-hmm. but I do, and it's the the thing that I'm grateful for is is a chance to a chance to be sober today, and the gratitude for for having gotten through the day sober. But the gratitude circle that I'm part of, we don't usually, well, we, that's not always mentioned because it's kind of you know taken for granted. And what I find the most moving in that circle sometimes is when people are grateful for hot chocolate, right, or <laughs> um, uh, the feeling of snow on your nose. And those are the things that make me smile and make me happy. Like, and I'm wondering about the gift of those small things. Like, did you find that in your in in your research on gratitude? Like the capacity for be, to be grateful for those things. I think that matters a lot too. I think it matters a great deal, and that's one of the things that often children teach us. 
Um, I was surprised at how much I read. It doesn't really show up in my my book per se, uh, but I read any number of articles where people talked about how they created gratitude as a a family practice. And and we've actually done this um, in our family too, but my daughter was somewhat older when we started it. Uh, And how they learn from their kids, you know, just these really simple things and that children would point them towards the, the, the most beautiful and often overlooked uh, gifts of our lives, you know, hot chocolate or snowflakes or the dog's soft fur or maybe, you know, mom's mashed potatoes, you know, <laughs> things like that. And, and we often take— we we always almost as adults take those really basic beautiful everyday gifts for granted and um i think that what you're talking about with sobriety and the gratitude circle or what a lot of people do experience when they work with children teachers often report that they hear this a lot from children is that it's the reminder that it doesn't have to be something that's big, you know, or life-saving or dramatic or uh, world-changing uh, to be grateful over it. It can just be a moment or a taste or the look of the sky that can cause us to say thank you. For me, sometimes it's the fact that when life is really hard, if I'm finding it difficult to feel truly grateful for my sobriety because I'm just, you know, depressed with life. I'm not feeling like I I like where I am. It's Mm -hmm. the ability to find gratitude for, you know, cuddling with my pets that's easier. (laughs) It's easier to find. (laughs) That's why I love your dog, (laughs) your dog pictures, your adorable pictures, the cat pictures. Well, you know, and the the kitties are, the kitties are there too. The kitties are sort of a quieter gift at this point. The dog really makes himself (laughs) announced into, into the, into um, the world. So uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that we asked for guests to send in some audio messages with what they're grateful for. And we're going to take a quick break and you'll hear a mashup of those things. And then Diana and I will be back. I unfortunately should should note that uh, we have a content warning for this gratitude mashup, which sounds weird. Uh, but uh, one of the people who submitted uh, audio message is grateful for something that has to do with sexual violence. And I already feel weird, like giving you the content warning and telling you we're going to talk about it and telling you someone's grateful for it. But trust me, this is all going to be worth it. And Diana and I will see you on the other side. Hi, my name is Alice Wong. And I'm thankful for the simple pleasures of life. With the July 2018 writing down, seeing I'm overwhelmed and frustrated is an understatement. I find joy did a slice of pie with hot coffee. I feel safe and warm when I DM with friends late at night to want to be as superficial and salty as I want to be. I find strength to see people tell their stories and pushing back to get so much heat. I have a lot of gratitude being part of so many beautiful and resilient communities. So take your moment 
Hi, this is Amy Chozik of the New York Times. In addition to being grateful for this podcast, I am grateful for my baby son, who is probably the only Jew named Cormac and who was born with a full head of Elvis hair. Have a great Thanksgiving. This holiday season, I'm so grateful for our black German shepherd, Jake. We had Jake for about seven years, and he passed away a month ago from cancer. I spoke about Jake and Sophie, our other black German shepherd, on the podcast a few months ago. And I talked about how when I traveled the country meeting with survivors of hate violence for my book, American Hate Survivors Speak Out, I really relied on Jake and Sophie for their unconditional love and warmth. Um, after I meet with survivors, one of the few things that would give me consolation and comfort was being outside with them, spending time with them, playing ball with them. And so I miss him very much and I love him very much. And I'm grateful that he was part of my life for so long. And uh, I also feel very proud that I was able to mention him in the acknowledgements. And um, yeah, I think that's about it for today. Hi, this is Charlotte Clymer. I'm a writer and press secretary with the Human Rights Campaign. And this year, I am incredibly grateful for allies of the transgender community. This month marks my first full year out as a proud transgender woman. And I am so thankful for friends and family and loved ones and coworkers and colleagues and neighbors who have stood beside us in spite of the vicious daily attacks by this White House on trans people. I am so thankful for you because you've gotten us through an incredibly tough year. Hi, my name is Michael Arsenault, and I am grateful for every single person who purchased my book, I Can't Date Jesus. I know some of you are being like, oh, bitch, are you really about to promote your book again? Yes, I am. But honestly, again, as I said, Anna and I said to everyone, it is it was a very, very, very long journey. Um, it's very hard to come from a working class family who wants to be able to do certain things with his life and not having really the access and not having the institutional support and not really knowing things. But to be welcomed by so many different people is just really, really gratifying. And literally just today, right before I recorded this, I saw two white women tag me on Instagram because they were twerking a little offbeat, but they, they had the good spirit to formation and they credited me and for me if I know if I'm getting white women to embrace Beyonce that my life is only going to go up from here so seriously thank you to every single person that supported me that has followed me on this journey that has allowed me to be myself because I think it's so important that we allow more queer black people to tell their stories more southern black people to tell their stories more working class black people to tell their stories their own way so I'm very 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 grateful I'm thankful to you all for giving me a platform I'm just very happy so thank you thank you thank you Hey, this is Parker Malloy. I'm an editor at large at Media Matters for America, and I am grateful for my wife, Kayla, my dog, Meatball, who is just absolutely amazing. Not that Kayla is not amazing. Kayla is also amazing, but Meatball is extra amazing. But, well, that didn't come out right either. Anyway, uh, Kayla's great too. <laughs> my, my cat Snickers, who is always kind of angry, so he doesn't get the added treatment. Um, but I'm also grateful for, you know, my parents, my brother, Adam, my sister, Casey. Uh, they're all super supportive of me and my work. I'm grateful for my job, my health, and just pretty much anyone I've met in the past few years of my life. I'm, I'm grateful for all of you. Thanks. I hope you're having a happy Thanksgiving. Hi, this is Trayvon Free. And I want to say that I'm thankful for all the amazing people who have fought for the last 
two and a half years to preserve and restore all the morals, values, and freedom that have constantly been under attack since November of 2016. Whitney Phillips here. When I was a graduate student at the University of Oregon, I experienced sexual violence and intimate partner violence that took a very long time um, to process. And two years ago, I was given the opportunity to uh, write about those experiences in an edited volume titled A Networked Self, um, edited by Zizi Papakarizi at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And the reason that that, that, the, that that narrative, my experience, fit in that particular volume was um, the degree to which those experiences of, of sexual violence informed the writing of my book, um, This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. The book is actually a survivor narrative, although you would never know that just by reading the book. Um, but those experiences are integral to how I... I um, initially did my research and then and then where the argument um, where I ultimately took the argument. So I titled the chapter, Am I Why I Can't Have Nice Things? And wrote it as, um, you know, Me Too, the Me Too movement was starting to take hold. And then the book was published in June. Um, and then subsequent to that, uh, over the last couple of months in particular, you know, we had Kavanaugh hearings and, and all kinds of, all kinds of things related to those, to those issues, um, sort of reckoning with, with sexual violence. And I had been invited in September of this year to give a talk on, on that chapter. And that was going to be the very first time that I ever spoke, said the words, I had written, I had written the experience, but it's different to say it to an audience than to, to write it in a, in a more protected setting. And, and that was when the Kavanaugh stuff really was at its, I would say pinnacle, but I don't know if that's the right word, nadir maybe. Um, but the Kavanaugh stuff was unfolding it was at the height of it when I gave that talk. And I guess what I am most grateful for is the opportunity to tell that story, to share those experiences and, and to have, to have others listen and to have them respond with such support and compassion, which has been my experience in so many different ways since I first sort of came out when I first started talking about this experience um, with close friends. But in the last few months, the ability to have these conversations, to listen to other women's stories, I think, I think has been, it has been so healing for me and for a lot of women. And so that's what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful to hear and to be heard. And I hope that there is more of that uh, moving forward. Um, so happy Thanksgiving and, and love each other and listen. I got my Stitch Fix box last week and 
uh, I so full disclosure. I hope Stitch Fix doesn't get mad, but like the box I got a couple months ago, it was it was great, but it was not super great. It had a lot of the stuff in it that I I already like, and what I usually really like about Stitch Fix is that it pushes me a little bit. Like it pushes me beyond the stuff I know I like to try things that maybe I wouldn't try if it wasn't recommended. Anyway, the the stylist took my feedback and responded to it. And this month, my Stitch Fix box was a little bit outside my comfort zone, but in a great way. Uh, the thing that I probably would not have picked off the rack for myself was a gray Tina Turk uh, sweater dress. And it I'm not a fan of super tight sweater dresses, but this one has this cool, like, fringy element around the hips, which makes it harder to see your hips. <laughs> and, and I'm at an age where that's a good thing. Um, I never, ever, ever would have picked it out of a catalog. I never would have uh, taken it off the rack at a store. But because it was in my Stitch Fix box, I tried it on, and it looks fantastic on me. That fringy stuff may be more of like a mental like crutch than anything else. I don't know how much it actually hides, but I look great in it. My husband thinks I look great in it. And again, I wouldn't have picked it out for myself. So try Stitch Fix. You'll be paired with your very own personal stylist who will handpick the items that are sent directly to your door. You get to try them on, pay only for what you love, and return the rest. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. There's no subscription required. You can sign up to receive scheduled shipments or get your fix just whenever you want. The styling fee is only $20, and it is applied towards anything you keep in your shipment. So get started now at stitchfix.com friends, and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all the items in the box. That's stitchfix.com slash friends to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash friends. Bombas is a sponsor of this podcast, and it's not only fun to say, but literally just now the engineer told me she loves these socks. And I can tell you my husband loves these socks and I love these socks. They do somehow fit better. I don't know exactly how they did it. Um... I think it is, I have in the notes here, it's the arch support system that provides extra support where you need it most and feels like a hug around your foot. That's not the language I would have, that first would have come to mind, but definitely there's something about that kind of like more firmness, stretchiness around your arches that makes it feel better. I don't know. And it also has stay-up technology. 133 tension levels were tested to find the perfect tension that's comfortable, stays in place while not being too loose, and never leaves a mark. There's also a seamless toe. Uh, that is something that I definitely appreciate, especially in my running socks. And then, of course, with Bombas, one pair sold equals one pair donated. Socks are the number one most requested item in homeless shelters, but you can't donate used socks. And that is why Bombas donates one brand new pair of socks for every pair they sell. To date, they've sold and donated over 9 million pairs. These socks feel like a good conversation. That's what they feel like. These socks feel like a conversation that's like warm and supportive, but doesn't leave a mark. Let's say that. Uh, they feel, I, this says they feel like walking on a cloud. I would say that you wouldn't want to walk on a cloud because you'd fall through. It feels, but it does feel comfortable. It feels like walking on something very, very soft. They feel like pillows on your feet. That, again, I'm not going to go that far. They feel like your feet just got a massage. You know what? That I will I will say. They do feel like your feet just got a massage. They're great socks. Uh, with friends like these listeners, get 20% off their first order. Go to bombas.com slash friends. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com, and you will get 20% off your first order. Bombas.com slash friends. So, Diana, 
one of the other really good reasons you're on the show today is that I know you have some thoughts about what Whitney talked about, which is something that started with a really terrible event, but ended in a place where it is today what she is most grateful for this year. Yeah. I, my experience has been so similar this year uh, because one of the things that I wrote about in Grateful at the very outset of the book, I was very concerned about the issue of people picking up a book and saying, oh, you know, why does the world need another gratitude book by a privileged white woman? And um, I knew I needed to put myself inside of a circle, a conversation of of people who had not just experienced privilege because that's what my life looks like from the outside. But I open, it's like on page 35 of the book, by telling a story about how I was assaulted when I was 14 years old by a relative. And the story that I tell was a story of struggle, how that really blocked my understanding of gratitude and how hard it was for me to get there. So over the course of the year, having written that book and then the book coming out in April, it's been amazing to me how many interviewers did not want want to ask me about that section of the book, that they went literally around it. Um, and then there were a few interviewers who said, you know, please forgive me, but do you want to talk about this? And I said, well, of course, it's fine to talk about it because <laughs> I actually wrote it in a book that was published by HarperCollins, and lots of people are going to read it, you know. So it's right there. You know, it's my story. It's in print. And what I've discovered for myself over the last year is that I've both felt really sad about it sort of afresh but the sadness is not a kind of shame sadness. It's more of a sadness of, you know, this this really happened to me, and this really happens to so many people. And it's such a terrible thing. Uh, but at the same time, as I've been able to talk about it much more forthrightly and with a sense of what I would call um, healing emotion, even when it's a sad healing emotion— that people also have gathered around me and have come up to me and said, I can't believe that you talked about that in a sermon. I've never heard anyone address that in a sermon, and I'm so thankful that you could say those words from the pulpit. It takes the evil out of it or takes the sting away or it helps me with my issues regarding shame. And so those are things that I felt really grateful for this year as well, telling a story, a story of pain, but then finding through that story of pain that a lot of people in our culture are ready to to tell that story in a way that isn't about hiding in the shadows, but is a story about pushing back um, what is evil, and speaking our truths and supporting one another and really, I think, um, pu- pushing the, the 
the blame and the sin where it belongs, and that is on the people who are the victimizers, not the victims. So, so I am so grateful for that, and I'm really thankful for this cultural change, although the Kavanaugh thing was terrible and sort of felt abusive again. But to see so many people stand up, both men and women, uh, victims and people who were allies with victims, um, even though he's on the Supreme Court, it also was gratifying uh, that it was close. And I can think of a time not so long ago in history that nobody would have even mentioned it, and it wouldn't have been close, and there wouldn't have been a conflict. And so we've come a long way, and for that I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite thankful, and it energizes me to keep pushing ahead with this conversation and uh, clearing the decks of what has been a secret uh, evil in our culture. Maybe you can help me with with something that I've I've struggled with just as a language issue um, in thinking about some of these things, which is I hate the term silver lining. Like, oh yeah, I do too. Actually, <laughs> I don't know why. Really, exactly, it bothers me so much um, because like there isn't like I. Like, so, uh, like, the idea that there'd be a silver lining to Kavanaugh getting confirmed. Like, no, no, there's not. Yeah, I don't think I said that, did I? No, 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 you didn't. No, 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 you didn't. But, like, I'm thinking about how people sometimes frame bad things, Mm -hmm. right? They frame it as there's a bad thing with a silver lining, right? But I feel like that gets in the way of being able to get to gratitude almost, right? Like, yeah. I want to acknowledge you can't if you want to get to the other side of it and be able to be uh, to to develop the capacity for gratitude and grace in the midst of something terrible you have to acknowledge the terribleness right like right. you can't sugarcoat it you can't put a silver lining about it you can't say oh, well that had to happen for instance in order to for us to get to where we are like it's just it did happen right. <laughs> And and now it happened, and so if we can, we try to find the capacity for grace and gratitude. But at the same time, like, it's okay if you don't find it. Yes. I think that the thing that you're talking about, one of the reasons I actually resisted writing this book is I thought, oh, my gosh, everybody is going to think that—I've written a lot of really hard topics in theology and spiritual practices and all kinds of things— I don't think that anybody would look at my body of work over 20 years and say, oh, my gosh, look at there. Diana's the prosperity gospel (laughs) theologian, you know, (laughs) or something like that Um, because—or she's so optimistic. You know, I've always been deeply realistic while being hopeful, which I think is the the difference between saying, oh, there's a silver silver lining and the capacity to see an event and— and then to understand that there are moral consequences beyond an event, and the moral consequences can be good or, or bad or some mix of both. And what I think about gratitude when you talk in, in the way that you just set up the problem is that gratitude is not necessarily the response we get on the other side of the event, but if we put on the capacity to be grat- to be grateful if we say okay here's this this terrible event this terrible 
uh, thing that's going on in our culture. I know that so many people are hurting. What would be the—is there anything in this whole field of vision that I can, that I can or we can see as redemptive? And so that's a little different than saying, oh, it's a silver lining. A silver lining is like, oh, there's good everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, sometimes there's not good everywhere. Sometimes things are just crap. And yet gratitude calls us even into that place. And then you say, okay, well, well, what is here in the middle of this? And I, and I just gave an example, you know, with the Kavanaugh hearings. And— um, what that that's not a silver lining that is the capacity to push american history to a more redemptive point and so that becomes vigorous and powerful and um has the capacity even to link our sort of political stance with some very powerful philosophical and theological and spiritual ideas. And 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 so gratitude isn't the panacea. It's not the feel-good moment. It's not the cockeyed optimist looking at everything and seeing the glass half full. But instead, what it is, is it becomes our capacity to look past the present circumstance and imagine a, a moral future. And that is what I think for myself, that is one of the things that I found to be incredibly strengthening this year. Um, I can I can testify um, as if I was in a Baptist church uh, with with great uh, conviction and deep belief uh, that my moral imagination has changed and it has gotten stronger. Even in these days where there's been so much that has challenged the moral fabric of what it means to be a person of faith and what it means to be a, a citizen of the United States. So I think a thing that you don't know about me is that once a month uh, I do a chapel service at my— I did uh, not know that. <laughs> it's a, at the low-cost treatment center that I volunteer at. One of the things I do is on a Saturday— morning I go and my charge for the past two years is I on the third Saturday of the month I talk about hope and I will be honest there's a little bit of a patter that I can do in my sleep if I wanted to <laughs> Uh, But for the most part, I actually do try to think I try to do something a little different every month. I try to think about how to talk about it. But one of the things that's been a constant for me because it comes up all the time is to talk to these people who are, are in their first 30 days of sobriety about the difference between optimism and hope. Because I'll tell you, there is no one more optimistic than a newly sober drunk, right? (laughs) Because <laughs> listen to how I think they're distinct, which is optimism is everything's going to be okay. I stopped drinking. Everything's going to be great. Right. Right. And then that's also the, the way of thinking that gets us into trouble as alcoholics and addicts, I think, because we always think this time will be different. Right. <laughs> like I'll use and this it, time. That there's a magic pill that you can just <laughs> take and it's going to fix everything. Right. That's optimism. Hope. And this is what I heard when you were just talking. Hope is work. Hope requires you to do something a lot of the time. And hope is a recognition that work is coming. And for me, what what I try to 
to communicate is that hope, so optimism, you know, is glass half full and hope is I have exactly as much as I need to keep going. And that's really what um, I think gratitude is too. Yeah. Yeah. I have exactly what I need. Yeah. People can say, well, I'm grateful for X, Y, Z, and they think, oh, it's fixed everything. <laughs> but it's really gratitude points us t- toward the present moment's abundance, and that is all I need is right here, right now. It does not necessarily mean that down the road you have a, every single thing you need at a given moment. But you will, but it's not like you're, you've banked it, you know, and it's going to be perfect and you're going to be safe forever. There's going to be challenges along the whole path. Sometimes what I say about my sobriety is I don't have everything I need or everything I want, but everything I have is something that I want or something that I need. Oh, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's really, it's it's such an interesting conversation because gratitude is such an expansive category that it includes the three-year-old that's going to be at your Thanksgiving table who says, uh, thank you for the cranberry sauce, all the way to the development of a moral imagination that can change our social and political environment. And all of that is gratitude. And it, it, to me, that is an amazing category of a spiritual practice, you know, because it's one that will last from the very beginning of our lives towards the end. It should grow and deepen over time. And yet, when we're in a struggle um, of the, can I make it around the next corner if I'm an addict or if something terrible happens or, you know, if we don't have enough money to get through the next month— Then you flee back and you can say, oh, my gosh, this hot chocolate tastes great. And somehow that simple observation, the one that we've carried with us since childhood, just sort of moves through the whole arc of gratitude of our lives and says, okay, if the hot chocolate tastes great, this moment, too, with all of these challenges can be faced. It will will come— to some sort of conclusion, if I choose well, and sometimes even if we don't choose well, uh, that can give hope and joy and fullness, and and I can be grateful, even here and even now. So I, I just I'm, I'm really stunned by the way that you've asked those questions and, <laughs> and pointed out both the simplicity and the complexity of it, uh, because that's really what gratitude is all about. It's about very simple concepts on one hand, but then it's about some of the deepest challenges that we ever face in our lives. And one gets us through the other all the time. That's what I yes. found. Yeah, isn't it funny? Because the deep challenges, when you get through those, actually those then give you the capacity to say, oh, what a beautiful sunset. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes after I've been through something really hard and I've I've come to a deeper sense of my own moral life where I've faced down my own fears about something that's going on in the political environment. I walk outside and there's a beautiful flower and I'll just go, oh, thank you for that flower. And so the the hard thing sometimes leads to the simple thing as well as the simple thing uh, giving us strength for the hard thing. 
So, so I feel like I can't end this conversation without asking you, not what you're most grateful for this year, because that's too hard and I'm springing it on you, but what for, are you grateful for in this moment? And you can't say this conversation. This Sorry. Pa- <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to make it work. Well, at this particular moment, I feel very grateful. I have had a very long uh, year on the road. Um, I got home last night from Dallas, Texas, where I had worked with a group called the Thanksgiving Foundation and another group called Faith Commons. And I was in five days worth of amazing lectures, sermons, uh, consulting conversations, cheering on clergy about gratitude. It was a very intense work week. And um, I I got home last night around 1 o'clock in the morning. And it was my last business trip of the year. My business is, happens to be a good business, but it's businesses, you know, it takes a lot out of us, travel. And I came home, and there was my dog and my husband, and I'm, I'm home now for six weeks. And just the joy of being in my house, in my bed, uh, cooking food in my kitchen, my daughter coming home from college and being with our family, uh, getting to talk to my stepson and his— uh, brand new serious girlfriend. Oh, man, that's just the best. So I'm feeling kind of a little bit more than usual, overflowing with blessings for a good year of work done, a hard, long, good year, but now to be with the people who love me most in the place I love the most. So I'm feeling very grateful for that. And I am, I get to say I'm grateful for this conversation and I'm grateful for you in my life. And I'm grateful to you, dear listeners. This is the most important stuff I've ever done for me. I don't know about you guys. Uh, Sorry, I don't know about you folks. Uh, But I am grateful for the chance to visit with you every week. And with that, I'll send you off to your Thanksgiving table or your leftovers. And please remember... Take care of yourselves. See you next week. Mm-hmm.